0: Good morning! This is Luna B. with my show, To Your Mind, where we discuss health topics of interest to you. Today I have on the show with me, registered nurse and student in the Psychiatric Mental Health Nurse Practitioner Program at USM, Andrea Duset. She will be speaking with us about hot topic pharmacogenomics and psychiatric disorders. More specifically, major depressive disorder. So let's get to it! Andrea, welcome. Thank you for joining us on my show to your mind. We appreciate your bringing up-to-date research on this topic to the studio and to the public. First, can you give us an introduction?
1: Thank you for having me, Luna. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you and your listeners on a subject of interest to me and one very relevant to the worldwide community. So just to bring folks up to speed on pharmacogenomics and how it relates to this psychiatric disorder, let me talk a little on that. Pharmacogenomics has been on the scene for a while now, but much less applicable in the field of psychiatric disorders than some other illnesses. Professionals in the field do see use for it, however, and progress has been made in the past three decades. So... Pharmacogenomics really focuses on how gene variants in the body affect the response to certain medications and what the implications are of testing for these variants and applying that information to prescribing. Major depressive disorder, commonly known as depression, is among the most common psychiatric disorders worldwide. According to the World Health Organization, it is the leading cause of disability its huge impact on human functioning and productivity lead to other serious and even fatal comorbidities and sequelae to date prescribing for this disorder has been primarily with the use of antidepressants and other off-label medications with some good effect but in many cases there is not a sufficient response also adverse effects sometimes interrupt therapy consequently patient attrition is common patient suffering is an unfortunate consequence And frankly, we lose time and resources in the process. As much as 40% of patients receiving antidepressants do not experience a therapeutic effect from these drugs, and less than one-third of patients achieve full remission, even after multiple trials. Therefore, you can see why researchers and providers might put their hopes into an informed prescribing tool, one based on genetic testing and information available on depression and the drugs used to treat it.
0: Absolutely. Now, what do we already know, Andrea?
1: Well, that is an important question, Luna. The short answer is that we know a lot more now than we did just three decades ago, but there are still huge gaps in the research and more we need to learn. The more detailed response is this. Depression is believed to be anywhere from 40% to 70% irritable or genetic. The response to treatment is thought to have an equally strong genetic link. These hypotheses came from observations of patients from the same families and their common response to treatment. So that's where pharmacogenomics come in. We've learned the CYP enzyme is arguably the most important system for drug metabolism. And so this has been a major focus of pharmacogenomic research. This area is called pharmacokinetics. How an individual metabolizes a drug can inform us on how effective it will be in the individual at different dosing. We've also learned that CYP alone is not enough. So researchers have also looked at other gene variants and are investing more into pharmacodynamics to better understand how the drug works inside the body. In psychiatry, this involves genes encoding neurotransmitters, receptors, and reuptake transporters. And more recently, genes involved in signal transduction, transcription, protein folding, and trafficking. With the GWAS, also known as the Genome-Wide Association Studies, researchers have been able to identify and link many gene variants to major depressive disorder, and trials are underway to better understand their connection to the medications we have available.
0: Excellent. This is all very interesting. So, is pharmacogenomics already playing an applicable role in the treatment of depression?
1: Yes, Luna. There are several pharmacogenomic decision support tools available for use in clinical settings. These decision support tools are also known as PDSTs, and they go by such names as Genesight, CNS-Dose, NeuroID Genetics, NeuroPharmacogen, RightMed, and Genesept. The Genesept assay, as an example, is used for assay-guided treatment. It is commercially available and incorporates 45 gene variants, of which seven are pharmacokinetic cytochrome P450 genes, and 12 of which are pharmacodynamic genes. CNS-Dose, another used in the U.S., is pharmacokinetic-focused. The way it works is it categorizes medications into three color-coded advisory groups according to the patient's genotype. Additional information is offered with a level of evidence rating and labeled as either informative or actionable. Clinical trials are in process to assess the efficacy of these tools in the population. Also, a consortium has organized to assist healthcare providers with the interpretation of test results by establishing guidelines for prescribing. The Clinical Pharmacogenetics Implementation Consortium, also known as CPIC, has focused mostly on adults so far as pediatric evidence is even less robust in this area. In fact, they advise caution using these guidelines for prescribing to pediatric patients.
0: So at this point I'm wondering what are some of the things we can gain from pharmacogenomics? Is it worthwhile?
1: Great question. Yes, I think there are some wins already And so many possibilities for us, perhaps down the road still. First and foremost is the idea that with pharmacogenetic test results, we could custom make treatment for patients with depression, with the goal being a positive response to the medication, perhaps one with no or minimal adverse effects. Especially for refractory cases, this would be amazing. But even for other patients just beginning treatment or who have been lost to attrition, Being able to predict which medications will work and which won't would save a lot of time and suffering and prevent undesirable outcomes. Second, since so many of the medications used to treat depression are used to treat other psychiatric disorders, the information may be transferable, enabling us to help many more patients as well. Third, by targeting a successful treatment from the start, we avoid the phenomenon that often occurs in patients with depression called the nocebo effect. Contrary to the placebo effect, this forms with prior conditioning when patients attribute previously experienced adverse effects, including non-response, to an entire class of medications and or to their expectations of a treatment. This effect has been shown to lead to hostility by the patient toward the healthcare system and healthcare professionals. It encompasses a mistrust, low expectations, hopelessness, and anxiety about anticipated outcomes. It is suggested that a strategy known as shared decision making, or SDM, can be effective in addressing this effect in patients. And the thinking is that perhaps PDSTs might be a vehicle for this. Some researchers suggest that this tool, when used collaboratively, could improve adherence, decrease premature discontinuation of medication, change unrealistic expectations, improve body of knowledge, reduce disengagement, and improve relationships between patient and healthcare providers. If alleviating hopelessness and helplessness can be accomplished in patients via the correct medication and with a collaborative tool, And that would be a huge win.
0: I have to agree with you. This all sounds very promising, Andrea, but I understand this topic to be a controversial one. So, what are the concerns?
1: Well, I want to emphasize that the research is not complete, and without good research, it is difficult to develop good decision support tools. So, while the field has grown rapidly, and we are already at a point where in some settings these tools are being used, I can certainly empathize with those providers out there who are reluctant to use them. The treatment as usual or trial and error method of prescribing will likely continue for the majority until these tools are refined, better assessed, and made readily available and accessible to all. Not only do we still have a lot to learn about the etiology and biology of major depressive disorder, we also still have much to learn about pharmacodynamics of antidepressants, and other classes of drugs used to treat the disorder. Furthermore, we also need more information about the gene variants that play the most significant role here. Really, only then can we design an ideal decision support tool, one that encompasses all gene variants that show a moderate to high level of evidence supporting an interaction with the medication. Also worth noting, These tests are still not paid for by third-party payers. If health insurance companies don't include these tests in their formularies, that means the expense is completely out of pocket for these patients, and we know that simply isn't a reasonable option for most. There's also the issue of availability of the assays in laboratories. They need to be available regardless of location, with reasonable turnaround times for results, and with informed consent by the patient. Informed consent raises another issue. Some argue that consent may not include all the pertinent and necessary information for the patient to make the best decision, or that the patient may not be capable of making that decision at the time. This introduces a concern about how DNA samples are stored and how they are used. Are tests being done without sufficient guidelines on how to proceed on how to proceed with that information? What if there is no sufficient match for a particular patient or large groups of non-responders and no drugs already available to treat them? Is it ethical to proceed with prescribing anyway, and how, or what if the patient and the provider disagree? Does the provider have an obligation to follow the test results regardless? Or does the provider need to reach an agreement with the patient first? Discrimination is another concern. For example, how do we ensure that research and development of new tests and drugs target non-white groups as well? And how do we address cost and availability so that socially and economically all patients have access to testing and adequate treatment? Skepticism and mistrust of pharmaceutical companies on the part of providers and patients could also be a barrier. And finally, could we be putting too much emphasis on pharmacotherapy via such an investment in pharmacogenomics? And in the process, are we at risk for losing sight of other therapeutic treatments, including counseling, exercise, light therapy, and other alternative treatments? As you can see, Luna, there are legitimate concerns, and people feel very differently on the subject for these reasons.
0: This has been an enlightening interview and a great overview of the topic. I've learned a lot, and I hope our listeners have as well. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today, and thank you to our guest speaker. Any final comments, Andrea?
1: Thank you so much, Luna. In closing, let me just expand on the implications and add my thoughts on the topic. There still is no consensus on the most clinically relevant genotypes for major depressive disorder and antidepressants. And trials completed to date show conflicting evidence. So I think we need to proceed carefully and cautiously with use of the existing decision support tools Also, I've already mentioned in our talk the extensive list of concerns and unanswered questions that we should not dismiss or minimize. I do think, however, considering the rate of non-response to the medications available for treating depression, and given these types of medications are standard forms of treatment for other major psychiatric disorders such as panic disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and anxiety disorder then there's no wonder many feel hopeful and enthusiastic about such technology. For this reason, we need to reserve hope and continue with the research so that perhaps we can develop an ideal, efficacious, and cost-effective method for treating depression.
0: I'd like to add on Andrea's behalf that we can provide her references for today's talk to anyone interested. Feel free to contact us for that information, or with comments or questions about our show today. Thanks again to everyone for joining us on My Show to Your Mind. We appreciate your support and look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.